Hello and welcome to another episode of Mere Fidelity, where we have conversations about life, theology, and the church and the culture. Uh, my name is Derek Rishmaui, and I'm joined by the most of our cast and crew, uh, Alistair Roberts and Matthew Lee Anderson. Uh, Wilson cannot uh, join us for some reason today, but today we will be taking up a very interesting theme in his absence. Um, Moshe Halbertal, a uh, philosopher and kind of theologian of religion, uh, has written an intriguing little work called On Sacrifice. It's a, it's a short little essay, maybe about 120 pages, but it's densely packed. Uh, it's a densely packed examination of the notion of sacrifice and its transformation in um, our culture. And he starts out, he, he kind of traces three different movements or three different dimensions to sacrifice. There is um, sacrifice to kind of its, its original religious um, rooting and, and he's, he's taking these things from uh, both Christian and Jewish uh, sources. Um, so, there's, so there's sacrifice too. Uh, and then there's a transfer idea of, of sacrifice for. So the idea of sacrifice too was um, kind of transformed in the tradition to kind of the idea of sacrificed, you know, so-and-so sacrificed their interest for uh, someone else. Uh, and so this kind of self-sacrificial dimension uh, grew up. And then and then kind of a, a third a third notion, um, he argues, was taken up between those, and that's the idea of um, the victim as sacrifice. And, uh, and so in the essay, he takes these things up, uh, exploring the different religious dimensions, the nature of ritual and sacrifice, atonement and sacrifice, um, violence, uh, kind of a nexus between violence and sacrifice, and then through these explorations of the Jewish and Christian sources, moves on to some political dimensions. And it's a fascinating work. So we wanted to just take up some of the themes, not necessarily do a book report, but um, take up some of the themes in discussion because sacrifice is so caught up in so many dimensions of our lives, political discourse, religion, uh, biblical interpretation. And so uh, we just wanted to, you know, get the conversation going uh, with Halbertal's book. And to do that, uh, I'm going to let Alistair pitch a question to us. Alistair? Thanks, Derek. Dr. Roberts? <laughs> I suppose one of the issues that has been very live of late has been um, Girardian understandings of sacrifice, particularly since over the last couple of weeks, René Girard died and people have been revisiting his work, recognising just how significant it is as an account of sacrifice and of human culture more generally and the dynamics within it. One of the areas I found particularly interesting in um, the work of Halbertal is the way that he challenges Girard's account of sacrifice. Girard's account focuses very much upon violence as the root of sacrifice and the need to displace the violent dynamics within society, the mimetic violence that results from us imitating each other and developing um, violent patterns. It has to be put out onto this lightning rod of our violence that bears that violence and therefore it can purge the violent community of its violence and enable it to continue. Whereas what Halbertal focuses upon is sacrifice, sacrifice not as a means to um, deal with that sort of violence, but the violence, if there is violence related to sacrifice, 
results primarily from being excluded. So he deals with sacrifice in terms of gift, um, that, for instance, Cain and Abel both bring their gifts. The violence results from the exclusion of Cain, as God does not recognise his gift. And he talks about the difference between a gift and an offering. And the sacrifice or the offering always faces the possibility of rejection, that you bring something to God and he may not accept it. And there's this anxiety that results from that, the gift, the gap between giving and receiving. And this produces both two two problems. On the one hand, it produces violence as, as you're an ex- as you're excluded from the cycle of giving, you're almost nullified as a person. You're not recognised. You're excluded from the earth and its gifts. You're excluded from the presence of God. You're excluded from society. Your your presence, your gifts are not recognised. And on the other hand, it produces ritual. Ritual is a means to ensure the acceptance of the gift, but in a way that kind of downplays the individuality and the visibility of the giver because you give in a formalised way to ensure that it will be accepted. But you do that ritual almost to disguise your individuality so that you will not be scrutinised too closely. And so he deals with sacrifice in this particular light. And I find that a very stimulating way of providing a different account from Girard's, while keeping a number of his yeah. his insights. Yeah, I'd be I interested thought, I to know... Was, oh no, I was just going to say the, the, the element of... Um... That I, you, you, you put your finger on what I liked about his, um, in a sense, displacement or, or uh, over-reading of Gerard. Gerard focuses on violence kind of like at the heart of things. It's already there. It's, it's you know, the mimetic desire sets it up and, and there's, you know, we expulse it through the scapegoat process. And um, Halbertal seems to push deeper at the kind of the originating um, good impulse within sacrifice and gift. And it's this desire for communion and intimacy um, that, that starts. So you start with this positive connection uh, of sacrifice as gift. And then it, the way it illuminates the relational um, root of both the nature of the gift and then the nature of the judgment the, the nature and the nature of the violence that, you know, the violence that Cain unleashes upon Abel is this, it is a, a in a sense, an, an imitative one and a mimet, one flowing from kind of mimetic jealousy. He wants that same intimacy. He wants that same closeness. He wants that same acceptance. But since he's excluded from it, he acts out his exclusion um, on a- Abel. He says, all right, you know, if, if I can't, if I can't be in on that relationship, neither will you, Abel. I will. I will end that. I will end that communion. And then that the way that illuminates even um, God's judgment, because it's very clear. This is one of the interesting things that um, Halbertal Halbertal loses none of the nuance and none of the sophistication of Gerard's account, but he manages to he doesn't in so many in so many words articulate a very orthodox notion of, of judgment and exclusion. They're kind of in a relation. He says um, something along the lines of um, Cain's punishment was proper and, accu- and accurate, a kind of perfect retribution. He was not executed, but rather excluded forever. He was cast away, forced to wander. You know, and then the verse, Cain left the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. 
And, and so that, like you said, he's excluded from the land. He's excluded from the sacrifice. He's excluded from giving his gifts. And so it's this fitting, this fittingness, exile and exclusion and, and sacrifice and the way they're caught up. It's, um, it's a rich little, uh, relational kind of nexus there. And that, that's part of what caught my eye most in, in, in Halbert Hall's account, um, kind of the way that things are organically rooted together and flow from each other and the way it doesn't seem to a priori impose an account on the text in the way that some Girardian readings for all their power sometimes tend to do. So I don't know. Um, Alistair, Matt? Alongside that, I find his emphasis upon gift at the basis of sacrifice and the symbolic recycling of the gift, what God has given us, that we return it to him. And this recycling of the gift to its origin to be a very helpful way of thinking of sacrifice more generally, because often our focus as evangelicals is very narrowly upon sacrifice as atonement, as punishment, as um, and he brings out all of those elements. Those are a very important part of his account, but that's not what sacrifice is all about. There's more to it than that. At root, it's a matter of gift and Atonement is understood within that framework as well as its atonement represents in the symbolic realm the retributive punishment that is deserved by the giver of the sacrifice. And so that's transposed to the symbolic realm. And as that sacrifice is enacted, the offerer can give himself to God and be returned to um, fellowship with God. I find that a very helpful way of seeing these things, certainly opposed to Girard's very narrow account of sacrifice in terms of diffusing violence, or in terms of many evangelical accounts of sacrifice as purely as bearing punishment. It recognizes yeah. the broader context of fellowship and gift. And the way that the way that uh, atonement actually flows, the way the structure of atonement actually um, flows, again, organically and naturally and just logically as a development from the original structure of the relationship as uh, you know, with the gift opening up and securing and founding uh, that relationship uh, of communion. Um, it's not a different sort of thing. It's a, it's, it's, it's a similar movement that's been transpo- transposed or transformed or deepened or modified because of the entrance of sin into the relationship. Um, but it's not a completely alien or foreign element to it. Uh, that's just kind of, well, got guess we got to do this now. It's, it's now a, yeah, it's, it's a transform. So that, that just, again, that kind of organic rooting, um, and development, I, I found very helpful. Matt, any thoughts? So I'm listening. Yeah. So I'm listening to all this and, I've not read the book for listeners at home, so um, if if this is very deep and difficult to follow, uh, it is for me as well um, because it feels elusive um, to me. I, it feels uh, a little not not quite as concrete as perhaps uh, I'd like it. I mean, thinking about sacrifice as exclusion, if I've understood. The conversation thus far, that seems to be a central uh, motif. Of, am I correct on sacrifice that? Sacrifice as... Or what's going on in sacrifice? As what? Exclusion. Well, 
sacrifice as, as, itself isn't exclusion. Rather, sacrifice always um, sacrifice is about a gift cycle that I give something to God and He blesses me. There's this, but there's always the sense that if you offer something, um, there's a possibility that it might not be accepted, and so there's this anxiety that exists in the background that the gift might not be accepted. And so that's part of the background that um, Halbert Held stresses when we're talking about sacrifice. And so, for instance, Cain, he's excluded from the gift cycle. And as a result, that leads to his violence, his sense of being nullified as a person, that he's not being recognised. Um, and so ritual of sacrifice is in many senses designed to avoid that anxiety or deal with that anxiety to ensure yeah. that um, as we sacrifice the, according to God's requirements, our sacrifices will be accepted. The, the, other, the other thing to pick up here is that um, sacrifice is, like, is like a special form of gift, right? You and I give gifts because we're equals. The other part of, it, of Halbertal's account is that sacrifice also demand, um, involves the asymmetrical a relationship between us and God. We don't, he's not part of a regular gift cycle of I give, you give. And it's, it's kind of a flowing thing. Um, as equals, God is, God is not our equal. He's, he's asymmetrical. He's a superior. And so the, so the structure of that is also part, that asymmetry is also part of it. Um, so can I, can I just query this a little bit? Because I'm not sure that. I understand exactly how this goes, and it doesn't intuitively seem obvious to me. Um, it two two things. One, um, I wonder whether framing it that way obscures what seems to me to be a certain kind of violence at the heart of sacrifice. Um, there's something different going on at Christmas um, than there is at. Um, you know, at, at a season where someone in, in a martyrdom, right? Um, the, the exchange of gifts at Christmas, um, even if the child has received the gift from their parents and then gives it back, um, there's a, in martyrdom, it's, it's a, it's that maybe under pressure, um, under a certain kind of duress that connotes an unwillingness on the part of the one who is martyred to in fact lose the very thing they're giving up. Um, and so it seems like the, the martyr is being asked to um, do violence to the very thing that they care about, um, their own life, um, the life of the one who's being sacrificed on behalf of others. Um, and if the gift structure is, is the broader context um, I, I'm still not sure that that escapes the unquestionable centrality of violence to me, um, within, within the actual logic of what a sacrifice is versus what a gift is. Is that, does that map at all? There's a couple of things I, I would just point out and then I'll let Alistair take it cause he'll have better responses. Um, one is we're just getting at the very beginning substructure of things and he develops it out as part of kind of a narrative of how you get from that kind of structure all the way down to martyrdom and sacrifice for a cause and such. So there's 
definitely some pieces we haven't put in place. Um, and the other thing is, I, I would say just the fundamental challenge of um, violence. I mean, I guess you could, the gift structure and the sacrifice structure doesn't necessarily demand, I don't know, the violence of animal sacrifice originally. Um, there, there are other different, there are other kinds of offerings that are not necessarily uh, violent unless you, you know, go full blown Derrida and like my trying to understand you as violence or something like that. Um, so, so I, I, I'd, I'd make those two push points well, and then I'll, I'll let Alistair take it up. And just to clarify, I don't think that you'd have to say that, um, Derrida, you know, you don't have to go that path. All you would have to do is say something like, um, the, uh, the negation of what's valued, um, would be a kind of violence, right? Um, that we value these things and, um, uh, if we negate that kind of value or if we enter into a kind of negation that that does violence to them and if the um, if that doesn't take the form of animal sacrifice or human sacrifice um, there is still a a loss of value that goes on um, a denial of one's own relationship to a thing that one is valued when when one sacrifices it um, if that thing is living or not Alistair, I'll let you take it. Yes, I think what he's trying to get at at the centre is the underlying structure in terms of which larger things can be expressed. So first of all, the basic structure is that of offering, um, which is a particular form of gift shaped by the asymmetry between the two parties and the fact that there is a gap between giving and receiving that you can give, but it may not be received. Um, God may reject the offering. And so the point is to return what we have been given back to its source. Now, in terms of giving up, um, part of it is the self, part of what he's trying to get at is what it means to offer ourselves to God. Now, there's always this concern that the offering is a sort of instrumental exchange, that I give something seeking to get something in exchange from God. And that's always that's always a, raises a question: Do we love God for His own sake, or do we love God from what we get in return? And it's one of the things that arises in the background of the gift of Isaac, the sacrifice of Isaac, because Isaac is a sacrifice for which there is no possible return. It's a sacrifice that is expressive of love, um, that isn't necessarily. There's no thing that God could give back in exchange for Isaac, because Isaac is um, Abraham's flesh and blood, he's the fulfillment of the promise, all these sorts of things. And so it's outside of the instrumental forms of exchange that we have within the market or something like that. And what he tries to explore is the way in which this underlying logic of sacrifice as the means of self-offering, um, offering ourselves to God, is worked out within the sacrificial system. And then later on, it's sublimated or worked out into other structures. So within suffering, within charity, within prayer, or within martyrdom, within each of these ways, there is a way in which 
we give of ourselves or we give ourselves to God. And this then leads into his account of sacrifice for, which he distinguishes from sacrificing to. Um, these are two different structures. So, for instance, if we're talking about suffering, suffering substitutes for the punishment that accrues to the person who has transgressed. And it's a symbolic substitute for that. So the psalm can talk about the sacrifices with which God is pleased of, the broken spirit, the broken and contrite heart. And repentance is in some ways a bridging of the gap between legal retribution and a symbolic substitute. It's an expression of our brokenness, the sacrifice of our own selves. Um, or we can have prayer as the offering of the fruit of our lips. Again, it's an offering of ourselves. Um, martyrdom, again, is a direct offering of the self um, to God. And there is a sort of pressure here that it's, in the case of Abraham, as he is prepared to give up Isaac, it's something that he would not... He is really genuinely giving something up. He's um, something of himself is being taken from him. Um, and in the same way, he explores the process of charity, that charity tends to take the place of sacrifice in many later understandings in Christianity and also within Judaism. Because when a person provo provides charity to the poor, he is in fact providing God, paying God's debt. So... In Proverbs, it talks about it's like lending to the lending to God, he who gives to the poor. And in that sense, it erases the abyss or the gap between giving and receiving um, because God becomes our borrower, as it were. As we give to the poor, God is, as it were, placed in our debt. Um, and so these are these are some of the ways that he explores that this logic of sacrifice is continued, but in different forms. And then he brings that into a part of the discussion of what it means to sacrifice for. We talk about sacrificing for our country or sacrificing for a cause. And that logic is not the same as the logic of sacrificing to, but there is a deep affinity between them so that one arises out of the other. So with all that said... Um... I think it might be worth moving on to, uh, I think Alistair did bring us through a lot of the book to the point that I, I found interesting towards the second half, which was um, Hubbard Hall raises the issue of the, the danger of uh, the notion of self-transcendence in politics, uh, that sacrificing for the, Derek, sorry. Can, can, before we go there, can I actually just ask it? Uh, Alistair a question because I'm not sure that I buy okay. uh, one thing that he said and I really I really want to interrogate it a little interrogate bit. Interrogate away. Um, <laughs> uh, martyrdom, martyrdom, prayer, and what was the other one that you mentioned? Martyrdom, prayer, suffering, and charity. Yeah, so I get, I, I, I can see the ways in which martyrdom, prayer, and charity are um, forms of sacrifice how they fit within this gift uh construct because on all of those um there's a, a strange kind of agency on the part of the one who's doing them right we pray the martyr um 
what distinguishes the martyr from the person who's simply killed is a kind of um, noble willingness, a, a willingness to accept the um, the loss of one's own life for some kind of higher ideal. Um, uh, in charity, we obviously give ourselves for the sake of others. Um, suffering doesn't actually at all seem to fit in that kind of taxonomy. It seems like what marks suffering is uh, an unwillingness to lose these things, um, a kind of, in some cases, a randomness of the pain or the loss. Um, it's very different from repentance. You, you move slightly from uh, what goes on in suffering to what goes on in repentance. And it seems clear to me that the broken spirit and a contrite, contrite heart as signs of repentance um, are closer to the, the kind of gift offering, but that even itself seems very different than what happens in suffering. I mean, when I think about um, Job, uh, the suffering that he undergoes, um, it doesn't, it's not clear to me that it uh, necessitates him to have the kind of broken spirit and contrite heart. So I guess I just wonder uh, if, with respect to suffering, if it does actually fit this gift uh, taxonomy, or if, th if there is some other, if it, if it actually extends beyond it in a way that um, challenges the gift, sort of the comprehensiveness of the gift taxonomy. Yes, I think it's important to understand what he's talking about when he speaks about suffering. It's not suffering as such that is sacrifice. Rather, sacrifice, um, suffering is a symbolic substitute for the punishment itself. So on the one hand, you have the legal and um, retributive punishment that is due for the crime. And then there's suffering um, that accompanies repentance, which is seen as a symbolic substitute for that. And as the sinner endures suffering, as he, um, through repentance, he is absolved, but... He doesn't enjoy. Okay, but in, uh, in enduring suffering through repentance is a very different thing than just suffering. Yes, I completely agree um, with that. And th th I mean, but he's there not are lots saying of people that. who just suffer who experience suffering just because. Yes, he's not saying that um, it's suffering as such. Rather, it's suffering um, through repentance. Um, that there is. The suffering is a symbolic replacement for the punishment. It's not the same thing. That the punishment is um, just what the law requires in terms of retribution, whereas the suffering that accompanies repentance is associated with an absolution, not just a punishment. Okay, so he's not trying to provide a general account no. of suffering then? No, yeah, that's helpful because when you when you were saying that, it sounded as though the suffering of people was um, being wrapped up in uh, that that kind of form of repentance, which would entail that anyone who suffered something would have to scrutinize their life to figure out what they would have to repent for, um, which would clearly be a problem to me. It seems. Moving on a bit, some of the points that. Um Derek was bringing into the conversation earlier. I think the issue of self-transcendence, 
the issue of tra- self-transcendence is crucial to the second part of the book. And I think it's one of the areas that I think you'd find particularly interesting, Matt, that yeah. he talks the about the that, danger the of... That sums it up, I was going to say the one sentence that sums up one of his concerns is this on 78. He says, misguided is his, one of his claims is misguided self-transcendence is morally more problematic and lethal than a disproportionate attachment to self-interest. Um, and he develops that at length, but, but yeah, Alistair, there you go. One of his, yes, he talks about the desire for self-sacrifice or self-transcendence that we we are the only species that kills for principle or for the cause rather than for self-interest. And there is a deep internal and not accidental, this is quoting him, connection between killing and self-sacrifice. So he pres- observes some of the perverse dynamics of this. So for instance, the assumption that sacrifice renders something good rather than vice versa. Or he talks about the example of the final solution and Himmler Himmler talks about the noble and the dreadful sacrifice of morality for the sake of the higher mission of um, of the Nazis, that acknowledging the very huma- inhumanity of the act that they're performing enabled it to be perceived of as a sacrificial act. So we're engaging in this, in seeing their action in the final solution and the um, killing the um, genocide of the Jews in the Holocaust by seeing that as a matter of great sacrifice on their part, that going against all of human nature and all of human moral instinct to kill these people for the sake of humanity, it's seen as a noble action, it's seen as a sacrifice. And he sees that this perverse logic enables, for instance, the narcissistic perpetrator of a crime to turn themselves into the victim. They are tormented by guilt but then they see that the victims are their tormentors because they are the cause of the guilt. And so they resent the ones that they have harmed. And this discussion of the perverse dynamics of self-sacrifice and how we tend to celebrate sacrifice, the self-sacrifice of someone for a cause or for other people. And he just observes how dangerous and perverse this dynamic can be. Yeah. So... Yeah, even even the, the even examine some of the right, some of the logic of war, and war crimes, and uh, combatants and non-combatants in terms of you know the element of willingness to willingness to die gives in a sense the right to kill um, in uh, wartime situations, um, and that was just a fascinating dimension to it. But I, I really did want to just talk about. It. I'm, I'm really curious what. The main contention, which I don't think is very, um, very difficult to grasp, that the, the just the danger of self transcendence overwhelming that of even um, kind of self interested violence, and I'm 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 curious what Matt would have to riff on that kind of well, logic. C- c- can I just play the dummy for a second and ask what in the world? you guys mean or he means by quote self-transcendence I, I that's a concept that uh is again elusive um uh at least to me alster why don't you go for it <laughs> well he's talking about 
he's talking about our capacity to give up our particular interested view, our um, to give up our own selves for something that is perceived to be greater than ourselves. And so it's it could be perceived as our our dying for the cause capacity man. to devote ourselves to something, our capacity to worship these sorts of things. And he views this self-transcendence. He argues that this is very much connected with the theme of idolatry, that idolatry is what represents those things that we're willing to sacrifice ourselves for, to devote ourselves for in a way that is, and he observes just the perverse dynamics of sacrifice. Now we tend to think of the higher cause that you can devote yourself to. It's a noble thing, but he observes that not every higher cause is worthy of this and the whole dynamics of self-sacrifice when devoted to an unworthy cause is the cause of the greatest inhumanity of man the worst forms of humanity are seen as we follow the logic of idolatry and idolatry is not primarily of self-interest it's an interest in something that provokes us to sacrifice ourselves for something greater than ourselves um, whatever that is, and that idolatry is the cause of man's greatest sins, not his self-interest. Yeah, so I guess I just don't, I mean, the the, the language of self-transcendence is interesting. It's not clear to me that what one is doing is, quote, transcending oneself um, uh, in pursuing those kinds of goods, right? Like, if I am uh, devoting myself to um, the cause of, uh, playing in the NBA, um, or winning a a national championship. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, I'm, I'm looking for a particular kind of self formation, right? I want to be a kind of a particular kind of, uh, uh, person. And same if I am devoting myself to the cause of justice in the United States by running for president, um, or, you know, as president engaging in certain wars, uh, you know, fighting the Nazis uh, because I'm committed to these principles and ideals of justice. Um, the, the, the kind of sacrifice that goes on under those situations is only accidentally tied to, um, to those ideals. If we could have the ideals without the sacrifice, we'd definitely take them. Um, and it doesn't seem to be a kind of negation of the self that that's going on um, or a, or a leaving behind of the self. It really seems like what I'm trying to do is is form myself in a particular way that in, is inclusive of the goods and values of all the other people around me as I see them. Um, it's absolutely true that that's a dangerous um, project, but that doesn't, I, I, I guess I just wonder, like ethics seems dangerous, right? Like, uh, <laughs> devoting oneself to, to a form of life is, um, means you'd better get it right because if you don't get it right, you're going to do a, enormous damage to people that you care about. And you're going to do that damage under the guise of, or thinking that you're doing them good. Um, so I, I guess I just, um, yeah. Matt, you have your, you have your, I'm not impressed face on. I, I can tell. 
<laughs> just <laughs> a little bit. Just a little like, bit. I mean, it's, oh I, wait, ethics mean something. There's, okay. <laughs> well, well, it's not as it's not as cool sounding as self transcendence. I'm not going to lie. Um, um, he, but I do I I do wonder if there there's got to be more there that I am not getting in translation. Perhaps yeah, it's well, and he, he's also carrying on a the, conversation with um uh kind of content logic and such. So that's partially I think where he's getting some of his language of. But even with the, but even with even with the Kantians, because I, you know, um, the, the the Kantians, I don't think if if one is a Kantian and thinks that one's life uh, is constituted by um, strict or rigid adherence to uh, certain moral principles that are inviolable, um, uh, and like I just think. That kind of project uh, is obviously going to be dangerous. Um, it's it doesn't, yeah. It's it's a risk, <laughs> but it's the only thing. Is there another option? That's what I want to know. Is there another option besides self transcendence? Well, as he describes, well, yeah, he's I not mean, saying that he's not. He's not. What he's doing is saying that this is a natural tendency for humanity, and it's not a, it's not inherently a bad thing, but it is the source of the greatest danger because it is what enables us to, um, it's what leads to idolatry, and as it's shaped by idolatry, it produces the deepest cruelty and violence and evil within the world evil that far exceeds mere self-interest. Perhaps it's helpful to see this in the context of what he says about the nation or um, the manner in which war and sacrifice shapes political bodies. So we tend to often think in terms of the political body as formed by some sort of, certainly within the modern era, some sort of social contract or some agreement between the parties within that union of people that they will live in this particular way together for their common interest. Whereas he argues, as with people like Paul Kahn and others, that sacrifice is near nearer to the root of the nation than some sort of agreement to share this moral life together. Rather, it's the idea of a primordial sacrifice upon which we base our political project. And so as we've experienced this war or something like that, we try and keep faith with this. And he argues about the power of past sacrifices. So we talk about sunk costs in our normal day-to-day life, that you've invested so much in this particular business and it's failing. And what do you do? Do you just continue to pour money down... uh, a bottomless pit that's not going to return anything to you or do you just leave it at that point and put your money somewhere where it might actually be fruitful now that's where we think of it in terms of economics but when we're talking about other fields of human action the past needs to be saved by future action the past is not a closed reality rather we have to in some ways a particular sanguinary war where there's a lot of bloodshed it ups the ante because we have to justify that sacrifice. 
So, for instance, yeah. the Civil War in the US, that sacrifice had to be honoured. And that could only be honoured by performing tremendous social transformation. That would be the only thing that would justify what had happened and the amount of bloodshed. Otherwise, it would just seem like a waste. There would be no faith kept with that sacrifice. It would be wasted blood. For instance, when we're talking about um, Christian doctrines, often people will talk about the fact that Christians in the past died for a particular doctrine. And so we feel duty-bound to honour that, to give that high stakes, because our forebears died for it. So that is one of the dangers, that commitment to past sacrifice can lead to perverse courses of action in the present um, because the past is consolidated through our commitment to bear its fruit it's consolidated yeah, was, through the was, promise of the future that was the point i was gonna come to it was such a fascinating one talking about the way this is where we get to some of the impact of this logic on martyrdom and its meaning for us um he has a big fat quote. He says, you know, by dying for doctrines about which Christians disagreed, martyrs infused religious dispute with her human urgency. Any compromise could only unfold only could, could unfold only quote over their dead bodies and the memory of their refusal to submit. It would have dishonored the martyrs deaths with implicit retrospective judgment that they too, instead of persevering should have saved themselves by dissembling. Ultimately, it would have denied that the teachings for which they had died were worth dying for. And um, that, that even, even the way that, that, I mean, that was just an interesting insight on the way um, history works, that um, the meaning of the past is often settled in the present for us um, in the way that we talk and remember and, and act out uh, our understanding of it. It, you know, it, is that going to be in vain? Was that going to be pointless or is it going to mean something? Well, that, that hinges on what you do right now. Uh, that, you know, that, that determines the meaning of their quote sacrifice. So, um, I just found that to be a really illuminating, um, interesting point. Um, Matt, do you have any, any, uh, final kind of pushbacks before we wrap up? Um, any skeptical insights? No, um yeah i i I understand that this sort of um thing is dangerous i i wonder what the alternative is i mean saying that this is a natural instinct of of humankind just indicates that it's a very dangerous thing to be a human and that you'd better make sure that you get this right Hmm. um yeah no and in a lot of ways what what the book is is just an examination of of uh the transformation of these thoughts it isn't quite a normative, uh, he makes some normative challenges at the end there, but it is really an examination of our moral psychology in a lot of ways. So, um, and in that sense, it's, a, uh, was that? it's an exploration of our instinct to sacrifice that human beings aren't just shaped by their rationality, by, um, sort of moral affections, these sorts of things. We have a deep instinct to sacrifice and a logic of sacrifice that we follow. And we need to be aware of that. That's one of the things that he's arguing, that it's one of the most perverse and dangerous forces within us if it's directed to the wrong end. And that's why he brings in the focus upon idolatry, 
that, and for instance, he talks about the attempt of the modern state to monopolize the realm of the transcendence, to become the focus of all our great loyalties and to control those against all others. But this is not to deny the importance of this instinct. Rather, it's to say that we need to be very careful where it is directed and we need to recognize the claim that God has upon our worship. And if we do not recognize that claim, the logic of sacrifice cannot be repressed. It will continue to express itself in our lives, but in perverse and dangerous ways. In a lot of ways, and we'll end it on this note, um, it's a companion piece to an earlier work that he wrote with another um, philosopher, Abishai, Abishai Margalit, uh, simply entitled Idolatry. And it's one of the most brilliant um, analyses of of the of the notion of idolatry there is. But but yeah, if there's if there's a moral at the end of it is is simply, you know, little children, keep yourselves from idols <laughs> because this is what will happen. Um, so with that, uh, we hope you have been challenged, encouraged, you know, intellectually stimulated by the conversation as we have. Uh, and until next time, feel free to write a helpful, you know, positive review on iTunes, uh, share the podcast around. And take care. Also, last little note, though, any feedback you guys ever have, questions you want us to take up, always feel free to email in. Uh, Matt fields those and, and then we take them up. So uh, once again, thanks for listening.